Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Thursday afternoon. We have a whole lot more to dive into this afternoon, but excited to catch up with our next guest, a guy you'll be hearing a lot more from as we move through the football season, the head football coach of the defending state champion Benedictine Cadets, Danny Britt, joining us here on Second Down. Coach, it looks like it's been a tumultuous offseason for you, man. I saw the pictures from the ring ceremony there, and we got you hobbling. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I hurt myself um, uh, a, a month ago at my daughter's uh, graduation in New Orleans, and, and no, it is not a fun story. It's about as boring as as you could believe. But um, but yeah, uh, it's it's got me hobbled a little bit. I'm actually on a golf cart at practice, which I swore I'd never do, and here I am doing it. But uh, I'll be off soon, hopefully, and be be rolling. So, I mean, you should have just left the story alone at I was at a graduation in New Orleans because then the imagination can just run wild. Well, I think it's already run wild. <laughs> Some of the players were, like, saying that uh, people were put posting stuff about how I, w- I was partying so hard that I uh, I hurt myself. And I, I don't really want that out there either because <laughs> if, it, if it was the case, I'd want it to be true, you know, but it, it did not happen that way. Well, we, we're, we're hoping for a quick recovery for you because I, I know, like you know, football season coming on the tracks quick. It seems like there's that doldrum between like the middle of May into the beginning of June. And then all of a sudden you're less than two months out. I mean, it, it happens quick. It does happen very quickly. And um, actually it's, it's, it's funny. It's one of my favorite times uh, because we, we get May and we always like to do spring ball in May and you started football. Uh, then you get the June workout sex session and you, so you're in football but it's not as much pressure you get to do other things and uh i enjoy it and we just released the the guys for the last time uh before the fourth break cut them loose and begged them all to behave and not get in any trouble and and that sort of thing but uh we'll look forward to it and you're right as soon as you get back in july it, it ramps up very quickly now you're doing your best Bobby Bowden impression out there right now, but and a guy who won some championships himself. What's it like the difference between ramping up for a season where you're trying to go after a title versus still obviously the same goals, but also uh, having that target on your back of being the defending state champ? You know, we really try to to make it as same as it, it, it is. You know, as similar to each year. Um, oddly, you know, because of for whatever reason, the rings came so late this year, and um, we, you know, we had to have the uh, ceremony uh, uh, just yesterday. I wouldn't be talking about it. I'd be telling coaches, "Hey, don't wear the rings. Don't wear any shirts." Saying, "You know, uh, twenty-one state champion. It's over." Well, we didn't want to do that to the kids, but uh, as soon as we get back in July, I can tell you, we're going to. There will be no more discussion of the championship. You just move on. It's a new team new goals and you focus in on those immediate goals and don't worry about what may happen in December. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt talked to dog nation a little bit earlier this week. And he said the advantage Georgia has coming off of the national championship is Kirby smart because he's a guy who's seen a team that, and been a part of teams that have won multiple national championships during his time at Alabama. So he kind of knows what the pitfalls are uh, following a championship season. You guys have won state championships before at, were you able to identify maybe some of the things that were, I guess, like Jeremy Pruitt said, pitfalls heading into the next year? Oh, definitely, without a doubt. We, we've learned. We were talking about that as a staff today uh, after releasing the kids. That 
it, you know, and we were just, we were doing some fun talking, you know, comparing teams and all that, like everybody loves to do, and, and having fun with it. But we also said, hey, we got to make sure that we we don't fall into those things. And some of them is what I just said, just you know, talking about last year's championship. It's over, you know, it's over. Just like you can't just constantly dwell on a bad ending. You have to you have to move on and focus on the positive and focus on what this this team can do. So that's just just one of them. I think others is you know uh, uh, relaxing and believing just because if you show up and do similar work, you'll get the same results. That's not the case either. Um, you know that's like saying every athlete's the same. Some athletes have to work harder and do more to get the same result, and that's and each team's going to be that way. And you know there's things you know losing entire offensive line. You, you know that you're going to have to replace that, but there's no replacing what that team, that group had built together. It's going to take a lot of time. So there are definitely those pitfalls that we have. We now have the ability to look at and say, "Hey, remember back when we we fell into this trap? Let's don't let this happen again." We can talk back now and look at the, those things and make sure we don't do them. Now, Coach, we haven't had a chance to catch up. In a little while, obviously, football season came to an end, and then we get uh, busy with a lot of stuff. But one of the conversations we had immediately following the NFL draft uh, was that the state of Georgia by itself had 40 players drafted uh, in this past NFL draft. The only state that had more was Texas with 42 players drafted, but Texas has nearly three times the population of the state of Georgia. So just me putting mathematics out there and maybe being a little bit biased because uh, of where I played – I feel like Georgia has become probably the best high school football state in America, and if not, it's certainly fighting for that spot. What's your opinion on that? Obviously, I'm biased as well, but no, I, I believe that is the case. I believe Georgia is the best. I know Texas people will argue with you with that because of the size of stadiums, and you know, a lot of times the the, the uh, amount of people they get to a game. And I, I think there's other factors to that. A lot of it is maybe they're so far away from, you know, a college stadium or, or whatever that, that is their, what they go to. Uh, but I think it has become, as far as coaching, athletes, uh, the caliber of, of, of competition, I, I think Georgia has become the best state. Um, and there's other, other great places, too. Uh, uh, of course, I know that. But I, I really do believe that Georgia has kind of made that leap. And it, I remember growing up, because I'm from the Atlanta area, I always heard the mystique about those South Georgia guys. Our coaches would tell them, hey, they, they don't have anything down there to do but lift weights and play football, and then Camden County and those other schools would come to the Georgia Dome uh, and pretty much prove it. But it seems like around the state right now, there's no bad area, right? You guys played a team from Columbus uh, in the state championship. We all know what uh, Valdosta is about, middle Georgia with the Warner Robins, and then you have the Graysons uh, right up, and now Langston Hughes and – Cedar Grove and all these schools uh, in Atlanta have become outstanding football programs. It's not just one area. It's all around the state. Yeah, that's, that's no doubt that it has become unbelievable across the, the state. And I think what has happened with that as well is the the fact that um, people have uh, – the administrations, they see the importance of it. And, you know, now the facilities are becoming ridiculous and, and – Hiring, you know, not only the head coach, but giving giving that coach the people that he needs to work with. So it has. There is. You're right. There, there's no bad place in the state. 
uh, for football. It's good all over, and, and you know, in every division, it's some really good football, some really good coaches, some really good programs. Now, y'all's region changing up a little bit. I know the past few years, uh, it's been just three region games for you guys, but this year, uh, pretty much a full region slate for you, adding a few new teams. What can you tell us about the new region for you guys? Yeah, it's definitely going to be tougher. I mean, you, you're adding in uh, Southeast Bullock, you're adding in uh, Burke County, you're adding in Wayne County, all, you know, with a lot of positive things going on. Burke County's going to always be good. Coach Parker, a uh, longtime friend, is, is, is going to run a very good program, and they returned a lot from an athletic team last year. I think a semifinal or quarterfinal team. Southeast Bullock is growing and, 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 you know, getting a lot of good athletes moving in there. And then Wayne County, I think J-Bo's going to do an incredible job with them. And we saw the size they had last year. My God, they were the biggest team we played all year. Yeah, 300 pounds across the line pretty much for everyone uh, up there from Jessup. Now, coming back, defending a state championship, obviously it starts with the players. You guys have some really good ones uh, coming back. I want to start with the senior on your team because I feel like he has a chance to be really special. Already has been amazing, but do something silly this year. Uh, Zaquan Bryan coming back for you guys has offers from all over the country. I know he's been tied heavily uh, to Minnesota there, but with Zaquan, do you see him as a guy who's going to project more as a defensive back uh, or as a wide receiver? I think he's a defensive back at the next level, and uh, and he's committed to Minnesota and that, that to play corner. Um, I think that's what he can be, and I think he, you know, he has a chance to be that at the, end, at the highest level. So, um, you know, he can do a lot of things, obviously, uh, even you know, in college. But I, I feel like that's going to be the best shot for him. Um, but you know, for us, he's going to do everything. <laughs> so, uh, everything, and give him some water, and ask him to do everything again. Yeah, get him shaped now because he's probably not going to see the sideline unless it's a blowout. Uh, the guy who's going to be responsible for getting him the ball. Luke Cromenhawk, a rising junior for you guys and already committed to Florida State as a quarterback. And in your coaching career, have you ever seen a guy commit to a school like Florida State as an underclassman before they ever took a snap at quarterback? Uh, no, I've never, I've never seen that. Uh, obviously never had it. I mean, first of all, let's be honest, we're never going to have a situation again where you have a Holden Gurner warming up throwing to a Luke Cromenhawk. I mean, two what I think are both going to be future NFL players. So uh, that was just yeah. special. I mean, we, you know, we need to mark that in our memory. Um, pretty amazing. But, um, but no, I haven't. And, uh, you know, I know times have changed. That you know, commitments are a little different. They, you know, they still get courted and, 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 and that sort of thing. But, no, I, but I, I, I certainly see why. I mean, it doesn't take just a minute to watch Luke do things and you realize why, you know, why the – places want to offer and accept his commitment so the ball looks crazy coming out of his hands right just the zip on it and if you can do that in the same throwing drill as holding garner then you obviously have a cannon attached to your right arm but what is it about him as a quarterback that has all these college things arkansas uh just came in with an offer to him today uh what is it about his style of play that has all these schools so excited about him i think and nobody wants to hear this in the transfer portal world that we live in now i think the fact that he one had the um integrity to to sit behind holding and play uh both safety and receiver and run down on kickoff and everything else 
they like it. They love it. They say, hey, he's tough. He's a team player. He's got his mind right. He's, you know, he's not a, you know, somebody says something wrong to me and I jump in the transfer portal type of kid. So I think that's really helped him. Um, and then you see, yes, you see the way he physically plays and then you see him throw a football and you're like, okay, this is something special. Now, obviously, you guys have good players all over the field. You don't win a state championship without them. Who are some other guys that are starting to get some attention uh, from college scouts? Yeah, well, you got Thomas Blackshear, who's, who's a rising sophomore, who's, who's gotten a couple of D1 offers, and he's going to be playing uh, a receiver for us. We're actually going to move Quan into what Justin Thomas' uh, position, the slot back, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, – you know, he excited for him. A Don Bryant is a rising junior, six four receiver that uh, can really go get it. And I think he's decided, hey, I want to be a football player. So he's got some special talent. You know, coming in, uh, Jacoby Ward, rising sophomore, measured six four, three seventeen at the Georgia camp the other day. Uh, will be an offensive lineman that is just uh, really improving, and uh, he's going to be a special, special type player. Um, you know, defensively, I think the front seven is going to be pretty exciting to watch. Uh, uh, Bryce Baker, we're moving him to an outside backer, and, and Lamont Mitchell, both of those guys are going to be on the edge with, with a lot of athletic ability. So uh, we can get get to the quarterback pretty darn quick. And Coach, before we let you get out of here, I know in college it's become a big deal uh, just with the college football playoff and just getting the TV views to go out there and play big-time out-of-conference schools, right? Well, you guys are kind of taking that same approach to your schedule, right? Uh, going down to play Christopher Columbus, a team that y'all hosted last year, taking them on the second week of the season, uh, heading up to Atlanta to play Westminster, heading out to Ware County to play uh, Ware County, uh, and then heading down to Jacksonville to take on Bowles. What made you decide that you wanted to put together a schedule like that? Well, Several different things. A couple of years ago, we were struggling to get anybody to play, and you know we only had a few region games, so we were having to get a lot of games, and really struggling to get uh, people to play us. And, um, and and I finally just was sitting there and thought, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's do this. And that's kind of my my personality and everything I do. If we're going to do it, let's go wide open into it. And and I you know contacted some. Um, you know, some national uh, uh, teams and, and started just saying, hey, we'll, we'll, we're going to travel to Miami. We, we locked in a um, two-year deal with Charlotte, Charlotte Catholic. Uh, we're going to do those. So we're going to travel. We're going to do those type of games and, and play big-time teams. And, you know, if we lose, we lose, but we'll get better. I mean, we proved it last year. You're going to get better when you play that caliber of team. When's the uh, Vegas trip to take on Bishop Gorman? You know what? I mean, I, I know they're really good, but I'm not opposed to it. Uh, 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 we'll fly to Vegas, and, you know, uh, that, that could be a lot of fun. I, I would absolutely agree with you. Danny Britt, head football coach of the Benedictine Cadets, joining us here again. They received their state championship rings yesterday. Have you worn all the rings at the same time yet, like on full Thanos on it? No, I have not worn all three. I did I did wear the 2016 ring to the uh, to the uh, banquet or uh, uh, last night, and I had both of them. We went out afterwards as a coaching staff and, and grabbed some food and drinks, and uh, I wore both of them, and that's, that's, that's enough. I don't know. I could fit a third one on there, but uh, they get, it's getting more and more gaudy. I let the kids design them, and, and you know how they like it. It's, it's a lot of bling. 
Oh, absolutely. Coach, we appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you more uh, as we get closer to the season. Thank you so much, Christian. Appreciate you. Again, Danny Brett, head coach over there at BC. Kind enough to take some time with us today. We'll come back. we got some college football news to dive into next right here on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. SEC Media Days right around the corner. Excited. We'll be in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame, which if you listen to this show, uh, we'll just say that's an interesting dynamic. But we'll be live at the College Football Hall of Fame. And you'll be able to catch all the interviews uh, with players and coaches there. Uh, we had some breaking college football news earlier. Reportedly, USC and UCLA could be joining the Big Ten as early as 2024. But, you know, I'll let, I'll let Kevin and Ben prognosticate about that because you can just get lost in a whole bunch of different rabbit holes uh, talking about that. I, I wanted to come in today and talk about the SEC East, it'll probably do the SEC West tomorrow. Because I wanted to break down, as you're looking at the schedule for these SEC East teams, what are the most important games for each of these teams? Obviously, goals are different uh, from Vanderbilt to Georgia, but there are crucial moments throughout the season where your season can be broken or you could build off of a game in particular. So what I'm going to do is go from the bottom up based off of last year's standings so, therefore, we'll start with Vanderbilt. Now, the Commodores, not expecting a whole lot out of Coach Clark Lee uh, and the Commodores coming up in 2022. In fact, I believe that their game on September 3rd against Elon is the most important game of the year for the Commodores for a few reasons. Namely, it is sandwiched between two other out-of-conference games at Hawaii and at Northern Illinois. Yes, the same Northern Illinois that came to Atlanta last year and beat Georgia Tech. Uh, and Hawaii, not a bad football team. So sandwiched in between that is an Elon game for Vanderbilt. Why is that important? If the Commodores aren't able to win that, I think they're going 0-12 next year. That is a bad, bad football team in an improving SEC West, and Vanderbilt's crossovers into the West don't help them out a whole lot. So again, they're out of conference is Elon at Hawaii and at NIU. I don't think they win either of the games on the road. Got to win the Elon game. I don't think that's a given because last year Vanderbilt got beat by Eastern Tennessee State, which is a very good program, but an FCS one. So Vandy, take care of Elon, or you could see a big fat zero in that win column. Uh, moving on, Florida, uh, who finished second from the bottom last year in the SEC East. I think Kentucky... I think Kentucky is the biggest game on Florida's schedule. You could point to the world's largest outdoor. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to, you could point to Tennessee uh, holding on to their win streak uh, over the Volunteers. But I think it's Kentucky because it's immediately after Utah, which is going to be a really tough opener for Florida. So they could potentially start 0-1. And then you have Kentucky at home, which, yes, Florida's been down, Kentucky's been up, but traditionally this is a spot where Florida dominates Kentucky. If you can start the season one and one with a win over a very good Kentucky team, that's some positive momentum versus there's a chance you start the season 0-2, maybe get a win there over UCF the next week and head into Tennessee, which is going to be a raucous, to say the least, Neyland Stadium at 1-2. I think Tennessee's probably 3-0 going into that game. You'll be one and two heading to Neyland Stadium and the Volunteers smelling blood. Uh, so Florida, I think that Kentucky game, probably the most important to avoid 
a disastrous start to the Billy Napier area. I'm going to skip South Carolina because I want us to brainstorm together about that. I was sitting there staring at the schedule, and it's tough for me. I think there's a few different options for South Carolina, but we're going to come back to that. Uh, we're going to move on to Missouri. I think Missouri's biggest game this season is at Auburn on September 24th. Auburn is a down football team, and I think Missouri should start the year and be heading to Auburn at 3-0, and which could be a huge Huge momentum boost for Eli Drinkwitz in that program. Uh, the one caveat to that, Missouri does play at Kansas State Week 2. I think Missouri should be favored in that game, but Kansas State is a good football team. That was going to be closer than a lot of people think. Uh, I think Missouri should be 3-0 heading into Auburn, and if somehow they can start the year 4-0, that is a huge, huge boost in momentum uh, for Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz. All right, moving on to Tennessee here. I think there's a few different options. I would hear Georgia because you're fighting for that SEC East crown. I would hear Alabama because you're trying to get out from underneath a 15-game losing streak to the Crimson Tide. But in terms of what Tennessee wants to do in year two under Josh Heupel, I think the biggest game, the one all the Tennessee fans have circled going in to this season is week four against Florida. I know we've already talked about this matchup from the Florida perspective, but I think from the Tennessee perspective, this is a must-win game for the Vols because I don't think you're at Georgia's level yet and I certainly don't think you're at Alabama's level. I don't know if anybody in college football is coming into this season but you have three losing streaks right now in your three biggest rivalries, right? You've lost five in a row to Florida, you've lost five in a row to Georgia, and you've lost 15 in a row to Alabama. You're not going to wipe off all three of those this year. Probably not knocking off two of those. If you can get one, reset one of those, go out obliterate Florida in what should be a Awesome night in Neyland Stadium, right? Obliterate Florida, that's a program-building win. I think that's the biggest game for Tennessee coming up this year. Uh, Kentucky, I know we've already talked about this matchup as well, but just flipping perspectives, I think their most important game is September 10th at Florida. You have been consistently the second-best team in the SEC West for half of a decade, or SEC East, excuse me, for half of a decade. Right, Mark Stoops quietly has done one of the best coaching jobs in America over the last 10 years. Go down to Florida, beat the hell out of the Gators, and solidify yourself as that team. What you don't want to let happen is letting Billy Napier breathe some life and breathe some hope into that program because Florida should be the number one or number two team in the East. Right, Florida should be. You got to do what Georgia's been able to do, which is hold the Gators down keep them from building back up to the monster that they can be, right? So I think that second week for Kentucky, when they head down to the swamp, if they could take down Florida, that's huge. Uh, it's addition and it's addition by subtraction, right? You you put a dent in the armor of Billy Napier and the Gators, keep them down, but also you can boost yourself up by getting a huge win. Anytime Kentucky can win in the swamp, regardless of where either program is, is huge for Kentucky, and that keeps you – kind of in line for your goals, which are always playing Georgia late in the season for a chance to win the SEC East, right? Kentucky over the last few years has had a one-off against Georgia the the last couple of weeks of the season for a chance to win the SEC East. It's so late in the season that Georgia wouldn't have a chance to recover and hope Kentucky loses, right? So Kentucky is playing for that one-off chance, right? You can drop one because Georgia's probably going undefeated in the East. You can drop one game and then beat Georgia just for a one-off and go and play in the conference championship. 
That's what Kentucky's eyeing in 2022. All right, Georgia, I I still think it's Jacksonville. I know a lot of Tennessee fans out there are feeling themselves coming in to this season, but I still think Jacksonville is the biggest game on the schedule for some of the same reasons I said about Kentucky. You you want to breathe life into the Florida program. Let Billy Napier in year one upset Georgia. That just completely reinvigorates an entire fan base. Or you can flip it to the other side, which is we got a new coach. We're coming in. We're feeling good about our quarterback. We have a lot of positivity coming into this. And then you get a 49 to 10 or something like that in Jacksonville, right? Just a smackdown and all of the aspirations immediately subside. And you're like, oh, yeah, wait, no, we've been pretty mediocre. Georgia has to beat the hell out of Florida to just to keep the momentum going, the domination that they've had in the SEC East over recent years. Because we've seen Florida's a team with a propensity to pop up if they have just the stars aligned, right? Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts on the same team, all of a sudden you can't stop them, right? It takes a historically good Alabama offense to upset, or not upset them, but to to knock them down uh, in the SEC championship or somebody throwing a shoe uh, in the last game of the regular season. So I think Georgia-Florida, the biggest matchup for Georgia coming up this season. I know it sounds boring, Feels like it's always the biggest matchup. Not an overly tough schedule for Georgia in 2022. I think this is the biggest game on their schedule. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll determine who it is for South Carolina next right here on second down. An abbreviated three and out coming up next. The guy is going to take you to 450, which will lead you right into pregame coverage of game three of the Braves and the Phillies of this series. Braves going for the sweep as Ian Anderson takes the mound tonight. First pitch set for 605. We got some business to wrap up before those three and out guys come in here uh, and kick us out. We're talking about the most important games on the schedule for SEC East teams. We've gone through every team except one, South Carolina, because I think there's a lot of games on their schedule that you could point to and say, no, this in terms of momentum, in terms of where they want to be in the postseason, this is the most important game on the schedule for the Gamecocks, right? I could see November 12th against Florida, right? That's just a historic opponent, the Spurrier Bowl, Taken on, uh, taken on Florida, right? I could hear Georgia week three, noon kick, taking them on at home. It's going to be on big ESPN. So all the eyeballs for that noon kick, I, I can hear that. You're taking on the defending national champions. But I think it's the week before that is the biggest game for South Carolina this season. Week two, the Gamecocks are at Arkansas. Now, a lot of people in the know seem to think Arkansas is the second best team in the West behind, obviously, Alabama. They got a quarterback coming back in K.J. Jefferson, who has played a lot of snaps and has played a lot of quality snaps as well. They have to replace Traylon Burks, but it's a really good football program there under Sam Pittman. So South Carolina starts the season against Georgia State. Then they head up to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas. Why do I think that's the biggest one? Because if you can find a way to win that, Williams-Brice is going to be a madhouse against Georgia. Whereas you get slapped down by Arkansas, maybe people sleep in a little bit. It's a noon kick. It's going to be hot. Georgia's coming to town. We just got smacked down by Arkansas. Why the hell we want to go watch us get smacked by Georgia? But if you get, if you can somehow upset those Razorbacks, Williams Bryce is going to be rocking. Three and out coming up next right here on ESPN Radio, leading you right into Braves pregame coverage starting at 450.